All right. Good evening, everyone. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and grab that right now. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. Acts, if you don't know, is the fifth book in the New Testament. Uh, The book of Acts is really the story of the first century church and how they operated after Jesus dies, is buried in the ground, rises from the dead, ascends into heaven. And it is the story of how the church started to operate at the very beginning of the Christian faith. And so that's what the book of Acts is. If you have your Bible, Acts chapter 2 is where we'll be tonight. As we kick off this teaching series called Calvary Next, where we are going to talk about uh, Calvary 2030, where we look at what the next eight years of our church is going to be, where we look at where our church is heading over the next season of time. Uh, And so you're going to hear a lot over the course of the next eight weeks about where we're going, what we see, what God's calling us toward. But but then here's what I'm convinced of tonight as we begin um, this evening. When we, as we begin this evening, here's what I'm convinced of, and this will kind of frame up our time this evening. It's this, that in order for us to step into our future, we must understand and celebrate our past. That in order for us to step into our future, we must understand and celebrate our past. Um, And so, um, As we jump into Acts chapter 2, we're going to see the story of the church. We're going to see the story of what God was doing through his church. And as we begin to understand our past, we can begin to think about our future. I believe this is true for the church globally. Uh, I believe it's true for us as folks who are following Jesus today. Uh, I believe the same is true for your life. So again, if you have a Bible with you, we'll be in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. Here's what it says. It says, then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, And said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. So here's the story. Jesus has ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit of God has come down upon the people. There's such a ruckus that's caused by the church gathering that people start to get confused and interested in what's going on. And Peter, it says, who's with the 11, he's kind of like the spokesman of the early church. He's the pastor. And he gets up. And everyone wants to know what's going on. And he goes, hey, listen to me. I'm going to explain it. But I want to point out who he's talking to in this particular story. If you look up here on the screen, he's talking to fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Peter was a Jew who came to follow after Jesus and believed that he was not only the Messiah, but also God himself. Peter came to believe that, and this message he has given is given to the Jews and those who are living in Jerusalem. See, Peter is addressing a crowd who has a shared history, a shared knowledge, shared customs, shared beliefs, a shared book that they look to in the scriptures, where they look to the scriptures and they know their past. And here's the thing every Jew, every person living in Jerusalem would have known. They would have been so crystal clear on this one fact, whatever else they disagreed on, it's this that God chose the Jewish people to be a light to the nations. That God chose the Jewish people to be a light to the nations. This is the whole theme of the 39 books of the Old Testament. It is that God picks out of all the nations on the earth, this one tiny little tribe of people. He says, you're gonna be my chosen people. And it's not that God just chose them to be the special people that he loved and he hates everyone else. He said, your job is to be a light to every other nation. That was the mission and the purpose of God choosing the Jewish people so that they might be a light to the nations. And Peter is addressing a group of people who know that their mission and call in life is to be a light to the nations. Their job is not to think about themselves, but to show the rest of the world the goodness of God. And here's why I think this matters for us tonight. Because what is true of the people of Israel, what was true for the people who were living in Jerusalem, listening to Peter's voice, is 
there's something powerful and miraculous true of us too. Like, let me say this to you clearly tonight, that through Jesus the Messiah, he has included you in that chosen people. That is what's true about you. If you know Jesus and have trusted Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, you are part of the chosen people that God has brought together in covenant to be a light to the nations. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation to declare the glory of God to the world. God didn't abandon the Jews. So when we look at the Old Testament, we don't go, well, that was God back then, and now it's God now. He doesn't abandon them. But what he does is he brings Jews and what the scriptures call Gentiles, which is anyone who's not a Jew, myself included, into the same family of God. This is so critical for you to understand that the Old Testament 39 books are entirely built on one ethnic group of people, people who have descended from Abraham, the Jewish people, and that through Jesus, what was true for that group of people has now been expanded to the entire world. And here's why this is so important for you to get. This is not just a weird theological fact. The fact that God has brought you through Jesus into the family of God means this, that the Bible is not merely history. Like when you read the Bible, the Bible is not merely some historical book that you read. Oh, interesting. David and Abraham and Elijah. The Bible is not merely history. Hear me tonight. The Bible is your family history. It's yours. That's part of your family. When you read the Old Testament, when you read the first 39 books of the Old Testament, it's not someone else's history. It's part of your family. Your family history is contained in those first 39 books. And here's why that's so significant for us. Like we think about things different when it comes to our family, right? Like if I told you some story of some guy in World War II who fought heroically and saved his platoon and really brought home people who were going to die and he was a hero in war, you'd be like, all right, that's cool. But if I said, no, 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 you don't understand. We've done some genetic research, 23 in me. He's actually your uncle's uncle's uncle. And you're like, wait, he's related to me? And somehow you have never known this guy. You will never know him. And yet the story becomes more important to you because it's your family. See, we think about things different when it's our family. Even if we never knew them, even if we never had a personal relationship with them, we hear the story different when the story is about our families. Because listen, I need you to know this. That's what families do. Families tell stories. Like, I don't know if that's true of your family, but it's true of my family. My family has like four stories we tell over and over and over and over again. It's the Alaskan cruise one. It's who lost the pillow. It's who broke the door. It's like the three stories. Every time we get together, it's like somehow those same stories came up and you're chuckling because your family does the same thing. It's like the same lousy story over and over and over again. And why does your family do that? Your family does not tell that same story that you've heard a thousand times over and over and over because no one knows what the story is. Hear me on this tonight. Families don't retell stories, not for information, but for identity. That's why families retell stories. Your family tells the same story over and over and over and over and over and over again because it is trying to form something in you. This is the type of people we are. These are the things we laugh about. These are the things we cry about. These are the things we remember, what's important to us. Families tell stories, not for information, but for identity. This is who we are. So what does this mean? This means if you want to be formed into the person Jesus is trying to form you into, you need to know your family's history. And in order to know your family's history, you need to read through the Bible, especially these first 39 books, and remember what God has done in your family. Like I encourage you tonight, remember the story of Abraham. Like if you ever feel like God's calling me towards something, but I'm not exactly sure what, I just need to take a step of faith. Remember your great-grandfather Abraham. 
Like, remember him. Remember that God moved in his life and called him into something. Listen, remember the story of Moses. If you ever feel like your life is too jacked up for God to possibly use you for his glory, just remember Moses. Remember his story, not for information, but for identity. Listen, remember the story of David. Like, remember the story of someone who came up against a giant and conquered, not on his own strength, but on the power of the Lord. Like, remember the story of Esther. The story of Esther, who God put in a particular place in a particular time to save his people and ultimately redeem them. Like, remember the story of Peter. Or the story of Peter, who doubted God and wasn't even sure he believed in God. Like, some of you in this place tonight are like, well, I've had seasons of life where I've walked away from God or doubted my faith entirely. Peter denied even knowing Jesus. And Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to raise you up for my glory. Like, remember the story of Peter. Listen, remember the story of Mary who got to like step into this beautiful thing God had for her. You get to be Jesus's mom. And that same Mary had to watch her son get crucified brutally on a cross. Like, remember Mary. Remember the story of Paul, the guy who's just like persecuting and killing Christians. And then suddenly God turns his life upside down and says, you're going to suffer for my name, but you are going to spread my gospel to the ends of the earth. Remember the story of the people in the Bible isn't just history. It's my family's history. It's your family's history. And when Peter is addressing the Jewish people, they have a common and a shared history because they know the word of God. And here's what I need to remind us of tonight, that those who neglect their family history will never find future clarity. You never will. And listen, that is true of your faith. Let me just tell you this too. It is true of your life. There are certain things that have happened in your family that have been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And if you never address and acknowledge and ultimately do the work to work through those things, you will pass it down to your children someday. Those who do not know their family's history will never have future clarity. Tonight, I want to invite you to know the past, to know the scriptures, to know the history of your church, to know the history of your family, to remember the history of your life, to not just blow forward as if nothing in this life that's happened before you matters, but to know the history. That is what Peter is addressing. Peter is standing before people that know and understand their history. He goes on this way in verse 15, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. There's so much I could say, but I won't. Verse 16. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and on the signs of the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so what Peter does is he reaches back again to the history, the family history of the Jewish people, your history, my history, as we've been included in this covenant. And he reaches to the prophet Joel and he reminds them that Joel, this prophet, prophesied that there would come a day. And I know there's a lot of like dramatic imagery in there and the sun is turning and there's blood and smoke and you're like, what is going on here? Hey, here's what Joel is prophesizing. There's going to come a day where the God of Israel works not just in the nation of Israel and its boundaries, but throughout the entirety of the earth. Like there is going to come a day where God moves in power. His spirit is poured out. There are wonders all over the earth in every nation and people get saved. Joel prophesies this hundreds of years before Peter says this. And here's what's beautiful. The ancient prophecy of Joel has been fulfilled in church history. 
Like all throughout Jewish history, I want you to know what's happened. What happened is there was 12 dudes following Jesus. Jesus says, go to every nation and tell them about me. And you got to imagine them sitting around counting, like how many nations do we actually even know? And those guys were like, all right, God, well, if your spirit's with us, and from 12 dudes, there are billions, billions with a B, Christians in every part of the globe, in every nation, everywhere you look. God has moved in power. Like this prophecy Joel had that what's happening in Israel will happen all over the world has come true. There's just no denying the power of Christian faith. There is no denying that God has done a mighty work in church history. But then I want to tell you something that's more specific to this place, that the ancient prophecy of Joel has been fulfilled in Calvary's history. Like I want you to know that you are inside of a church right now where God has moved in power over time and we are part of something that God is doing. And I know that some of you maybe attend other churches or you have other places you're a part of, or maybe you go to college. But for those of you who like call Calvary home, I want you to know you are part of something that God has been doing throughout the history of our church. Well, can I tell you, just in case you don't know the history of our church, I'll give you the thumbnail sketch. Um, 1976, there was this tiny little church in Thousand Oaks. Uh, and this tiny little church was meeting in this small little building. They had dwindled down to just a few families. What they should have done by all people's wisdom was just shut down the church, start going to other churches. It was a failed church. It's okay. They can move on. They can be a part of another church. But they were these families that just believed this tiny little town of Thousand Oaks. You know, it's so cool. The last couple of weeks, I found this little report on Thousand Oaks from 1976. You know what the medium age is? Like the average age of the person living in Thousand Oaks was in 1976, 26 years old. Yeah, right? You're like, what happened? People moved here and they never left. Okay, that's what happened. Okay, so tiny little town, Thousand Oaks, tiny little church. Everyone should give up on the church, but there's some families who believed. And they said, you know what? We believe God is going to do something mighty. And so these tiny little church sent some people back to the Midwest to talk to a pastor they had heard of called Pastor Larry DeWitt. And Pastor Larry was leading this like thousand person church, which in the 1970s was unheard of in the Midwest. It was this incredible thing God was doing. They called him up. They said, we're in Thousand Oaks. There's like six of us. There's no resources, no money, no building. You should come be our pastor. And you know what's wild? God moved in Pastor Larry's heart and said, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And so the church was trying to figure out, how do you bring this guy out here? There's six of us. There's like, no, there's six families. There's not a lot going on, not a lot of resources. You know what those folks did? They had mortgages on their home. They took out a second mortgage on many of their homes. They put their homes at risk, their literal lives at risk, so that they could afford to bring out a pastor, pay him for a while, and start to build a ministry here at this church. And so they brought out Pastor Larry Dewey. Here's a picture of Pastor Larry, uh, if you don't know him. Uh, pastor Larry was the founding pastor of our church from 1976 all the way up through 2002. And this was our founding pastor. And he began to preach, and things began to move. And the first thing they did was they moved out of this tiny little church building um, into a place that um, kind of exists now, but the restaurant doesn't exist. It was called the Hungry Tiger Restaurant. Let me show this to you. This was the Hungry Tiger Restaurant. Los Robas Golf Club, you know, over there. That's what this is. It's changed names a few times. But this was like one of the first churches that was like, let's meet in a restaurant slash bar and see what happens. And you know what's crazy? People started meeting Jesus. Like they're like, let's meet in a bar. And like they're coming in on Sunday morning, like cleaning up alcohol spills and like glass bottles and all of that. And they're getting ready for church. And the church just explodes. 
Like God just does some crazy work in this. And soon enough, they're filling up the restaurant so much that the restaurant owner starts to get mad and says, you guys have got to get out of here. There's too many people. I can't have parking. There's nothing. We can't help you anymore. So the church had no idea what to do. And so it's like 1979, the church is being kicked out of this restaurant because they're just exploding. And then Calvary Community Church decides to do something that almost no church in the nation had done before. This is pretty normal now, but churches never did this. Calvary Community Church went just up the road here. Like if you go just up the hill, up on um, Via Colinas here, there's all these like old warehouses that were just kind of built up to like house stuff. And they're like, well, we don't have stuff. We have people we need to house. And so Calvary Community Church, I'll show you this photo, becomes one of the first warehouse churches in the entire nation. This was our sanctuary from 1980 until 2001 when we moved into here. This was the sanctuary. And God just keeps blowing things up. Like things keep moving. It goes from six families to 2,500 families. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. And God is moving in the midst of Calvary. These small steps of faith, you can see people standing as they respond to the gospel invitation. There was this heartbeat of this church that God would move in power as we invited people to come know Jesus. One of the most profound experiences for people in the history of Calvary uh, was what's affectionately known around here, if you've been around here, the wall. We don't have this wall here at Calvary, but I'll show this to you here. It was a wall where people would go write names of people they wanted to see come to Jesus. And they would write names, and then those people, when they came to Jesus, they'd be brought to the wall and be like, I've been praying for you to meet this Jesus. All throughout the warehouse, names are written all over the place so that people would come to know Jesus, and people kept getting baptized and kept coming to the Lord. Eventually, we start outgrowing the warehouse out there, and there's way too many people coming, and so they start praying and believing and going, God, we need you to show up in power. We need a new place to start meeting. And so the church is praying and believing, and then suddenly this place comes available. This place belonged to the Eaton Corporation. It was like a defense manufacturing place. If you've ever walked into Calvary and thought, this place looks like a war bunker, it's because it was. Like, that's exactly what it was. And then they cleared out of here, and there's crazy stories of how this all got together. But eventually, Calvary secures this half of the property. And they're like, we have no idea, because we can't actually afford the other half of the property, but we don't know what we're going to do. And suddenly, this person comes along and says, hey, we want to start a school called Oaks Christian School. We need about this much property. And we're like, whoa, this is the story, people, of how God moved in power, how God showed himself to be faithful. And so eventually, there's this moment the early 2000s, where they walk from right up the road there on Via Kalinas down to this building on Palm Sunday. It's like this big march, this big processional of what God is doing. You'll see a picture of this right here, this march over where they come from the Via Kalinas warehouse down to this property. And 20 years ago, God begins to move in power here. Listen, the story of Calvary continues, but my point in sharing all this is this. I want you to know this, that we are part of a church that men and women believed for. Men and women in the 1970s, who some of you will never meet in your entire life, put up their houses as collateral so that Calvary could be formed, and we are still living in the wake of that faith. That's what we're living in. Like, can I remind us that we are gathered in a building that men and women sacrificed for? Like, like getting into this building was tens of millions of dollars that men and women said, I am more interested in this church flourishing than my family going on vacation the next couple of years. Like, I'm more interested in this church flourishing than my personal comfort. And so they gave and they sacrificed so that we could be in this place. And if you ever take this place for granted, I just want us to remember, like, this is a place that God has given us as a tool. The church isn't the building. This place could go away tomorrow and we'd still be a church. 
But this is a tool that God has given us. And if you've ever been blessed inside this space, it's because men and women sacrificed. Like, listen, we are experiencing moves of God that men and women prayed for. There were people who were praying for you and this church before you were even born. How cool is that? Like before you were even born in the early 1980s, there were people praying that for decades to come, God would move in the hearts of people like us. I just think that's unreal. Like we're living in the wake of that. Like, listen, we hold to a doctrine and theology that men and women stood for. Meaning for all of the history of our church, there have been men and women who had said, no, this is what we believe about the Bible, about Jesus, about his resurrection, about the forgiveness of sins. This doctrine we stand upon, this thing we teach, this Bible we believe in, that has been something people have stood for in their generation. And then can I just remind some of you, because some of you don't know the full history here, I want you to know that we are a young adult ministry that men and women labored for. I want you to know that what you're experiencing on Thursday nights here is not just some random thing. It's not something that's always existed at Calvary. Calvary's gone through seasons where young adults are here and then gone, here and then gone. When I came on staff in 2010, I moved to Thousand Oaks. I was part of this community. There was not really a young adults or college group. And from time to time, there would be attempts and there was wonderful things that would happen, but nothing ever really took off until 2016. And in 2016, a number of people God just kind of orchestrated who came back from college or moved to the area or who got interested. And suddenly God started to stir something in the hearts of a number of people who are here. In fact, I want to ask this. Um, if you were part of YA, part of this in 2016, would you stand up right now? There are a number of you all over this room. And yeah, look at this, all over this room. God moved through these people. Yes, and take a seat. 2016, they just got together and they started meeting and they started praying. Like YA was birthed in prayer and this like deep desire to see something happen. And so they start getting together and they start meeting and it starts to take off. And eventually what was just a few people starts to grow and to grow and to grow. We have this picture of like a park day that almost every person in YA came to in 2016. Like this was the ministry. And it was awesome at the time. We're like other people who aren't 80, you know, like it was awesome. And God started to just move through a small group of people who just decided we're going to pray, we're going to give, we're going to serve, we're going to be a part of this. We're going to invite other people into this. When people who aren't us show up, we're going to welcome them with open arms. God moved in power through a small group. It's the same story of Calvary just told once again. Like never underestimate what can happen when a small group of people decides that we are committed to this, we are passionate, we are in, and nothing will stop us by God's power. Like that is what happened with YA. It's the same story of Calvary. And I share this a little bit tonight to remind you, like tiny little group of people just set off this wonderful thing that we experience now. And I want to tell you this, we're still looking for people who want to be a part of that. And I don't have a program. I don't have a thing to invite you to. I just want you to know we're looking for people who are in. And some of you have been sitting on the sidelines. Some of you have been spectators and it's time to actually get on the field. For some of you, you've been leaning in, checking out, constantly coming to YA. It's maybe been a blessing to you and praise God for that. But you know what it's time? It's time for you to show up at 6.30 or show up at 6 and be a part of our prayer team. It's time for you to come early and help people what be welcomed in. It's time to join one of our teams here, to be a part of our worship team, to be a part of what God's doing here. Why? Because God moves in power through tiny groups of people who decide that they want God to use them for his glory. Like I want to invite you to that. And I want us to remember the past. I want us to remember how this happened, how this church happened, how this ministry happened. Why? Because in order for us to step into our future, we must understand and celebrate our past. Here's how it goes on in the text as Peter continues to preach. It says in verse 22, it says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. 
Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. So let me point this out. Jesus is accredited by God. God did something. Verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. So I want you to note this, God's deliberate plan, his foreknowledge, he had this in mind. Verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Uh, Like in other words, it's the story of Jesus's life, death, burial, and resurrection. And what Peter is saying is you people thought you were in control, but God was actually the one calling the shots. And this is a beautiful thing. These people put Jesus to death. They thought they had the power, but what Peter is telling them is you didn't have any power at all. God ordained this. God moved in this. God had a plan. He had foreknowledge, and then God raised him from the dead. This is all about what God did. Like God ordained, God moved, God was in charge. This whole thing that happened wasn't random. This whole thing that happened is because God made it happen. And here's what I want each of us to do for our lives. I want you to realize that where you are right now didn't just happen. It happened because God made it happen. Everything in your life that has moved and shaped and molded you into the person, to the man or the woman you are right now, happened not randomly, but because God put people, places, experiences, moments, whispers into your life that shaped you. So so here are four questions I want to ask you tonight as you think back over your own life and how God has shaped you. Here's number one. Who are the people who God ordained? Who are the people that God ordained to put in your life? And you'll have a list that's totally and wildly different than my list. My list includes people like Nancy and Vern Howard, my parents, like Reed Delgado and Kevin Larson, people you'll never know, but shaped me when I was 15 years old to follow after Jesus. It's people I met in college like Drew Walton or J.D. Lasky who invited me and ultimately introduced me to Calvary. It's people I've worked for here like Sean Thornton or Curtis Johnson. It's people that God has moved into my life. And listen, none of them were random. There are people who have moved and God's shaped in my life who I haven't spoken to in 10 years. And yet God saw fit for a particular season to put them in my life. And I don't resent the fact that I no longer know them. I'm just grateful that God put me in their life for that moment. Like that's how it works. God ordains people in and out of your life. And the people who have shaped you the most did not randomly show up in your life. Isn't that a cool thing? Like you have never once met anyone in your entire life that God wasn't shaping towards you. Like you have never once had a friend or a mentor or a teacher or a pastor or someone in your life who God didn't say, I'm gonna put her in your life just for this season. I'm gonna put him in your life because he needs to nudge you in this direction. God ordains, who are those people? Remember those people. Number two, what are the circumstances that God redeemed? What are the things in your life just to seem so devastating at the time? Like you'll never recover from this. And God goes, you have no idea what I can do. That God redeems, like the breakups, What are the breakups that you just thought you would never recover from? And God's like, no, 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 I got something else for you. What are the jobs that you didn't get that you were so certain that you were gonna get or the promotion you were so certain was yours, but you didn't get it. And God is either in the process or has redeemed that. What are the colleges you didn't get into? And you are so certain that that was your dream and that was your destiny. And God says, no, 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 I have something different for you. See, God, what God does is he redeems circumstances. He changes these. He takes the things we think are so certain in this world and says, I'm doing something right in the midst of this. See, I want us to remember people. I want us to remember circumstances. Next question, what are the moments where God spoke? And I just want to say this. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I've never heard the audible voice of God. I know people who claim they have, and I don't disbelieve them. I just haven't. 
But I can tell you with entire certainty that all the time I hear the gentle whisper of God in my life. You know what the number one whisper I hear in my life is? It's when I'm talking to someone and my brain starts going a thousand different places. God just goes, be here. Be here right now. Listen. When someone starts to say something and I start to get all agitated and I want to argue back and show them how they're wrong and how I'm right and how I'm justified because of my own. No, no, no. God just says, listen right now. Just listen. God speaks to me all the time. And there are times where it is a gentle whisper. And there's times where that whisper seems to have some force to it. Like a time back in 2006 where I thought my whole world was over. Everything was lost. And God says, no, 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 I'm going to take care of you. Like a time in 2012 where I thought for certain ministry was not for me. I was failing. I wasn't good enough. God says, no, 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 no. I've got a future for you. There are times God has spoken in my life, and my question for you is, do you have the ears to hear it? Do you have the mind to remember when God has spoke? It is people, it is circumstances, it is moments, and then let me remind you, it is places. For some of us, we're so spiritual that we forget that God created a physical world, and it is in physical places that that God meets us. Every time you've ever met God is in a physical place. It might be this church or a mountaintop. For me, it's a houseboat. It's a beach I've sat on. It's a lake over, uh, a dock over Lake Tahoe. It is these places over the course of my life where the God of the universe has met me. And my question for you is, what are those places? What are those locations? What are the moments, the locations, the places where God has met you in power? I want you to remember those things. It's not just remember the history of our church. It's remember the history of your life, what God has done and how he has moved in power. Because when we remember those things, then we can start to aim toward the future. Remember, in order for us to step into our future as individuals, we must understand and celebrate our past. If you want to step into the purpose and the calling God has for your life, You must remember what he has done in the past. See, God has a future for you. He has a plan for you. Plans for good, to prosper you, not for wickedness or evil. God has a plan for your life. And yet in order for you to step into that, you must know where you came from. And here's the beauty of remembering where God showed up. Like when you go through the people and the places and the circumstances and the moments you heard God, you know what's so beautiful about remembering those times God showed up? Here's the phrase. Because if God did it once, he can do it again. If God showed up in your life once, he can show up again. If he redeemed a bad circumstance once, he can redeem it again. If he redeemed a breakup once, he can redeem it again. If he redeemed a disappointment once, he can do it again. Every time I look back at my life and I go, God did something, I'm reminded that he's not done yet. He can do it again. And this is the beauty of looking back on our past. We look back and see a faithful track record of God and we look forward and we should have no doubt, not a single hesitation, that God will continue to be faithful in our life. Peter gives this whole speech and he'll continue on. We'll skip forward down to verse 36. Here's like the punchline of the whole speech that he gives to the Jewish people who are listening. He says in verse 36, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So he says, let all of Israel, everyone here needs to get this. This is Jesus, you killed him. He is now the Lord and the Messiah. Now, that is about as thick theologically, as powerful biblically as it could possibly be. Uh, And yet, if you don't get the full context of what leads to this statement, you you won't really understand the power that had for these people. I'll just tip the hand to the end of the story. 3,000 people hear this sentence and go, we want to be baptized right now. That's how the story ends. 3,000 people hear this sentence and decide to give their lives to Jesus in a moment. And why doesn't that move us as deeply? It's because we don't fully understand the history that comes behind this. And here's what I want us to know. When we understand history, 
we can find clarity. When we understand history, then we can find clarity. Uh, like, let me put it to you in a few different ways. Like, as we understand history, we can find clarity. Let me give you like a few sentences that history will actually help you understand and bring clarity to. So let me give you an example. If I said, it's going to rain tomorrow afternoon, and you know the history of Southern California that we haven't seen rain in at least 150 years here, right? Like, yeah, it rained last weekend, but come on, right? Like, you know this is good news. Your history of knowing we're in a drought knows this is good news. But if you had a different history, let's say you've been planning your wedding for tomorrow, Friday, for about a year, and you hear it's going to rain and it's an outdoor wedding, this is bad news for you, right? Your history actually brings clarity. Let me give you another sentence. They decided to get back together. Maybe you've heard this one before. And there's certain couples, you're like, they're getting back together. That is so good. They were so perfect for each other. So you hear that and it brings you lots of joy. And there's other couples, you're like, they're getting back together. That was such a train wreck. Why? Right? Your history with those people brings clarity to a statement. You hear she got a big promotion at work. Well, if she happens to be someone who's awesome and everyone loves, there's like celebration and joyousness. She got a promotion. She deserves it. That is awesome. But if she happens to be the worst kind of person out there who nobody likes, she got a big promotion. It actually comes as terrible news to you. What am I trying to say? When you know the history of someone or something, that gives you clarity on what the statement is. So let's return to the statement. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. This Jesus who you crucified has now been made both Lord and Messiah. Here's the history of this statement. Jesus steps into the scene as God's chosen vessel, God's chosen agent to redeem Israel, to forgive them of their sins, and to ultimately make them a light to the nation so that everyone else can be involved. And through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus has become two things that have a deep history in Israel. He is the Lord. And the word Lord doesn't just mean God. It includes God. But it means the boss, the one who is king. The word Lord in Greek is the word kurios. Kurios means king. It means master. And so when it says that Jesus is the Lord, everyone understands what that means. He's the king. He's in charge. Everything belongs to him. He is the Lord, and he is the Messiah, they hear Messiah and they go, that is the long-awaited rescuer of Israel. That is the king. That is the one God is using to redeem and rescue and forgive his people Israel. See, when they heard this, they heard it with all of the context and the history of the Old Testament, that everything in the Old Testament had been building to this one moment of this Messiah. And Peter stands up and goes, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And because of that history, they could have clarity. Remember, when we understand history, we can find clarity. Because they knew the history of Jesus, because they knew the history of the Old Testament, because they knew what it meant to be the Lord and the Messiah, in that moment they had clarity and 3,000 people respond. So what does this mean for us? When we understand history, we can have clarity. I want to invite you to five separate things tonight. Number one, I want you to understand the story of the Bible. I said tonight, the story of the Bible is not just some history, it is your family history. The more you understand it, the more you'll understand what God is doing in your life. I want you to understand the story of the Bible. I want you to understand the story of your church. I want you to know where we've been. I want you to know what God has done. I want you to know what God has done in this place. I had a number of people stand up tonight who were part of YA in 2016. Go ask them. What was it like back then? How did God move in power? How could he do that again? Understand the story of your church. Listen, I want you to understand the story of your nation. A lot of people are just ignorant of our history. So they either think uh, the United States of America was all good, perfect all the time, or all bad, bad all the time. And like every person in every nation in history, it's mixed. Understand the story of your nation. Listen, understand the story of your school or your workplace. 
Know why your school is the way it is. Know why your workplace is the way it is. You want to make the boss or the founder of your company real happy? Just sit down and ask the story of their company. Know where you've come from. Know where your school is. Know where you come from. And then finally, understand the story of your family. Understand the story of your family. Know where you came from. Know what happened, not just with your parents, but with your grandparents and your great-grandparents. Remember that through the generations, sin gets passed down and passed down. Patterns get passed down and passed down. Blessing gets passed down and passed down. Know the story of your family. And I lied to you. I said there was five things. There's six things. Finally, understand the story of your life. Just like look back and see what God has done. Look back and see how he has been so faithful Man, I've been in a season of my life lately where I've just been reflecting on God's goodness to me. There's been a song, we're gonna sing it in just a little bit here, The Goodness of God. The lyrics go like this, all my life you have been faithful, all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. You know, I've been singing that alone in my car, in the shower, as I've been walking around, it's just been the only song on my mind because I have looked back across the course of my life and seen that God has always been faithful. He has been so, so good to me. Verse 37 is here where we'll close. It says this. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and for your children who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message and were baptized were about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Like day one of the church, Peter gets up to preach. He says, hey, everyone, you killed Jesus. He's the Lord and Messiah. Repent. That doesn't sound like a very compelling message. And yet the Holy Spirit of God moves in power and there's a mega church born that day. 3,000 people, boom, baptized on that exact day. Why? Because God moved in power. And we want to look back on the history of the church and God, God, has, God has moved in power. He's shown himself to be strong all over the earth and he's going to continue to do it. Like here's a statement that should just put strength in your bones as you go forward. In the midst of all the people who predict the decline of the church, Christianity is going away. Jesus will be forgotten. You know why they're wrong? It's because God has been faithful, but he isn't close to finish yet. He is not even close to finished yet. He's not close to finish with his church. And hear me on this child of God. He's not close to finish with your life yet. And when you look back over the course of your life, you should be able to recognize God has been so faithful. He's been so good. He's moved. He's redeemed. He's been powerful. He's been a blessing. God has showed me the way to go. He has been there with me the whole time. And he's not even close to finish yet. I told you I've been reflecting on my life a little bit as my role here at Calvary's changed and, and God's really opened up some doors for me to stay long-term in, in Calvary's leadership. And um, as I did that, I went back to uh, some journals I keep on my shelf in my office. I, when I was in college and even just out of college and really in high school, I journaled a ton. I don't journal so much anymore, but back then I did. And I'm so glad I did because I have these journals. And um, as I was flipping through the pages of this journal, there were two like primary thoughts that went through my mind. Um, the first was this one, man, I was so dramatic. Oh my God. You ever read back through your old journal? Anyone else here willing to admit that you were a little dramatic at one point in your life? Okay. All right. The rest of you are lying. Um, <laughs> But, but, but I'm so dramatic. Some of this is like, so like, who was I trying to impress with this? But, 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 but I want to read you an entry from 12 years ago, actually a little over 12 years ago. This is from April 3rd of 2010. I was about to graduate college one month from that day. 
Uh, I was going to graduate college, and uh, if you've never graduated college, that's the scariest time. You graduate high school, and for many people, not all of us, but for many in, in this community, communities like this, it's like, you just go to college. You're like, okay, off to college. And then after college, you're like, what do I do? The whole world, like I, anything. You know, like you have no idea what comes next, what's going to happen. And so my entire senior year of college, I was applying to churches. And you know how many churches I heard back from? None, zero. Not a single person even called me back. And so for months, I'm applying to churches, applying to churches. And finally, someone says, well, you could intern at this church called Calvary. I was like, I don't want to intern. And they're like, well, you could. And so I guess I applied and I was like, well, that's my only option because apparently no one else even cares that I exist. And so I applied to this church called Calvary. This was back in like March and I hadn't heard anything yet. And I'm a month away from graduation. And here's what I wrote on April 3rd of 2010. Again, a little dramatic, bear with me. I confess that I have not been comfortable with how long it has taken for this process to happen. I am one month away from graduation, and frankly, I'm scared. <laughs> but then here's a sentence. I shouldn't be, though. God always, always, always comes through for me. And here's what I didn't know. I didn't know that the next week I would come in for a job interview here at Calvary. I'd be offered the job at Calvary. I didn't know that that exact same day walking into my interview, I would shake the hand of a woman who would later become my wife. I didn't know that we would be married nine years going on 10 with three children and God has blessed our family immeasurably. I didn't know that God would have 12 years and many, many more ahead of ministry that has been so fruitful here at Calvary. Let me read that sentence to you again from April 3rd of 2010. I shouldn't be though. God always, always, always comes through for me. And he always, always, always comes through for you. There is a God who hears you, who responds to you. And when you look back throughout your history, you will see that he has always been faithful. He has always been good. He has always heard your prayer. He has always responded to you. He has not let you down once. And as we look forward for this church, and as you look forward at the vision of your own life, I want you to know that he will not fail you yet. He just will not. Listen, our band's going to come up right now, and we're going to sing a song. Uh, and this song is so beautifully called The Same God. And it's all about the same God that we read about in our family history in the Old Testament. That same God hears us. That same God responds. That same God is not going to fail us. Here's, here's the bridge, or here's the lyrics to this song, the chorus. It says, you heard your children then. You hear your children now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You answered prayers back then, and you will answer now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You were providing then. You are providing now. You are the same God. You are the same God. I want you to know that on that day of Pentecost, when 3,000 people were saved, it is the same God that saved people then that will save people tonight. If tonight you don't know Jesus and you want to respond to him, that's the God who calls you, who says, I love you. I sent my son to die for you. He'll save you just like he saved back then. If you know Jesus and you walk with him, the same God who was faithful then is going to be faithful with you now. He's been faithful throughout your entire life. He's not going to stop now. He's not going to stop ever. We look back on our past and we can understand and celebrate it. And then we step boldly into our future. And that's the invitation for you. We're going to do this as a church. We're going to talk about our future. God has been good to Calvary, but for your life, God has been so, so good to you. May you never forget it. May you lean on that faithfulness as you step in to the future that God has for you. He is so, so good, and he will never let you down. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for tonight. Thanks for the opportunity to look back on our history, our past, and remember your faithfulness to this church. God, you have been so, so kind to Calvary Community Church. 
You've been so gracious to this body, so gracious to this congregation. Thank you for our history. Thank you for the days of old. Thank you for moving in power. Thank you for all the ways that you have blessed this church. God, we pray we would remember and celebrate it well as we look to our future. And then God, thank you for our lives. Thank you for the ways you provided and redeemed and protected and brought people in and out of our lives and weaved everything for your glory and our good. God, thank you for being the faithful God who showed up when I was a college kid and had no idea what would happen next in my life. Thank you for being faithful then. God, I know you're faithful now and you will hear our prayers. So God, as we sing to you tonight, may the same faithful God who met us back then meet us right now. We pray this in the resurrected name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.